Welcome to the Spiritual Intelligence Podcast, Awakening Your Inner Power with Daniel Martinez Stahl, where we will explore, discover, and integrate different aspects of our spiritual and human nature so that we can all thrive and live life with more grace and ease instead of struggle. So welcome to the Spiritual Intelligence Podcast. My name is Daniel, and with me today is Lori Carpenos. It's an honor and a pleasure to have her with us today. I was just speaking with her about how I I, I know of her, and I mentioned that I've I've seen her name posted and her her picture posted on on different newsletters uh, through 3PGC, which is uh, a great website, 3PGC.org if anybody's interested in this information about the three principles. She happens to be a three principles teacher. Um, So once again, I'm having another three principles conversation. Um, But but we were having a really, really interesting conversation just before we started, Um, but we'll get into that a little bit later. I would love to have Lori introduce herself. So Lori, if you will, and then we'll we'll go from there. Oh, thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you for inviting me any opportunity I have to share my understanding of the principles, my current understanding. And as we know that our understanding always deepens, which is just one of the most remarkable things about looking in this direction towards the three principles. So I don't know what to say about myself, except that um, it's just been an amazing privilege um, and an honor, like you say, to have fallen into this. You know, it happened back in 1985 um, when I was invited to hear a man named Sidney Banks speak. And I was looking for the initials, the letters after, not the initials, the letters after his name, you know, to say that, is he an MD, a PhD? Who is he? He's a ninth grade educated welder. And I was living in San Francisco at the time where, um, you know, that was the land of a thousand different therapies. And uh, I was going to a lot of talks and seminars and I kind of went to this one um, only because other people, people in my circle, friends were going or I would have not gone. So I really feel like what a um, what a wonderful thing happened <laughs> because I know that the quality of my life, quantity of my life, is is really not changed, but the quality is so much improved from the the life I was living before I learned anything about innate health and the principles. To hear that. M- myself as well as everyone has a core of innate health that just really blew my mind you know because and and I wound up I was an art teacher at the time but I wound up pursuing a career in therapy thinking that that's the way I would be able to share this with the most people but of course now we know people in all fields who had more vision than I 
and they're bringing it into their teaching career. They're bringing it into whatever career they're currently in. You don't have to be a therapist or a life coach to share the principles. And I also learned that I could only share what I knew myself. So that's what I did. I just listened to as many people who were in this three principles conversation and certainly went to all of Sid's talks that I could go to. We had to get in a plane and fly to them. <laughs> now you could just listen to them on a, on a uh, recording. Yeah. There's a lot of things in that, in, in that introduction that I would love to, to expand on. But before we go there, I would love to get your thoughts on what does it mean to you that we have inner power? What would that phrase mean to you? Well, I think of it in terms of uh, the word mind that Sid used as one of the three principles that we're all connected to an infinite wisdom. And that comes through us. So what I saw in the principles is that this power to think is what's important. You talk about this inner power. We have a power to create through the gift of thought. And, you know, we look out in the world and people are creating all sorts of things. They're creating terrible things as well as wonderful things. You know, you can create a symphony or you can create an atom bomb. It's coming from that same capacity. And we have the power to choose which direction we wanna go in. So that inner power to me includes a free will and an ability to understand how to use our free will or how to use the principles to the best of our ability. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Can you speak a little bit more about your own personal experience in terms of what, how do I put it? How do I phrase it? Again, staying with the same idea of inner power, what would that mean to you in your experience? Mm -hmm. Like my day-to-day -day experience. Speaking from your heart, speaking from within what you know. Yeah. Not the three principles description, not the three principles idea, but what right. do you what does it mean to you that we have inner power or that you have inner power? Yeah. Well, I can give you a couple of examples. I, I just used this example the other day in the webinar I was doing. Um <clears throat> for three PGC, in fact. And it took place last Thanksgiving. I live within walking distance of a wonderful park. And it's small, a small park, but it's full of activity. There's tennis courts and um, basketball courts and base, a baseball diamond, you know, the uh, Little League gets out and they play baseball there. And um, so I woke up on Thanksgiving during COVID and so I wasn't going to be with my family. We were not doing 
indoor uh, gatherings. And um, I walked to this park. <laughs> well, I should say first that I, I woke up in a really bad mood. And bad moods used to be my norm. That was my norm before I heard Sid Bank speak, before I knew anything about the principles. I just thought that that was my lot in life and that life is difficult for all people, not just me. So here I am all these years later, 30 some years later, <laughs> and I wake up in a really bad mood. I'm all alone. This is awful. Plus it was raining and dreary out on top of it. So I think I'm going to walk to my park and I'm going to feel better. Well, I only felt worse because this place looked like uh, unbelievable. Like it was one of these um, horror movies. And I was the last person on earth to live. Like everybody else on the face of the earth had been wiped off the earth's surface. And I'm the only one alive. Um, nobody was there. I think after about a half an hour of walking, I saw uh, a, a couple with two children in the distance. They were the only other people in this whole park. And all of a sudden I have this thought, I have my phone and my camera. I am gonna take a video of this. As I walked along, I took a video and all of a sudden it became the coolest thing imaginable because I had one thought that separated my bad mood from now I'm in glee, just about in glee. I am never gonna see this park looking like this again. So desolate. This is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Now, how do you go? I mean, every human has that capacity to bounce back so much, to be, you know, resiliency is built into us. That's our innate health that we're built to bounce back when we're not so focused on a negative thought. And there it was in living color. I had that experience, literally, and Sid said this a number of times, we're always one thought away from a better experience. And there it was. You know, that's not something you can make happen. You can't apply it to make it happen in life. The more I understand how the mind works, these things just happen. And then I can say, wow, that's a great example of, you know, look at what is, not at what isn't. That's a great example of, uh, we're always one thought away. But those would sound like cliches, right? It, it's not a cliche. It's not a Pinterest saying to post. It's something to see. And when you see it, it happens more often. And then you can say, ah, now I know what Sid meant by. We're always one thought away. It's not like you can invent that thought. It's not like you can purposely do positive thinking because believe me, years ago, I used to try that positive thinking and I'd never believed myself because it wasn't the way thought typically comes to us, which is out of the blue. <laughs> out of nowhere. That's a really, really interesting um, comparison that you make because it's something that I've thought about myself in my own journey recently. Um, there's a lot of 
invitation for us to recognize and be present to a more positive way of thinking and a more positive way of looking at life. And it, it always kind of sits funny with me when I hear that because it's not something that we can oftentimes control. Right, right. And, and it, it's, it's finding that balance that I, I am working on myself, and I think we all are, of, again, like you say, as I've understood how the mind works, how my mind works, I'm able to see the natural fluctuation of thought more easily. Yeah. And within that natural fluctuation of thought, I'm able to recognize, oh, in the past, I would have chosen that one to focus on. And then I would have gone down that path of frustration or anger or of annoyance or whatever. Yeah. But I'm not choosing that one. The one that's calling my attention more right now is this one. Is is. And it's a slightly better, sometimes it's a much better thought, but sometimes it's just a slightly better thought. Um, mm -hmm. And in, in the, the conversation that I had with Bill Pettit for this, for, this, um, for this podcast, he was emphasizing the idea of not doing anything, of just being present and allowing the mind to do what the mind does. Mm -hmm. And there's an element of that which I totally agree with. But I also feel within my own understanding, and maybe I'm, I, I don't see it as deeply as Bill does, but um, in my own understanding, I do find it's helpful to recognize the choice points that I am consciously making, the free will, the role that my free will is playing in the direction that my mind is going. And as I get more of an understanding, my free will does tend to take more of a quiet approach. It does tend to take a, a less invested approach and more of a, let me just be present at the moment. Yes. But that's also a choice point. And that's something that I didn't have a chance to, to really speak to Bill about. Mm -hmm. That's a choice that we make to be quiet, mm -hmm. to allow mm -hmm. nothing to happen is a choice that we make. Exactly. I agree with that. But I also see that I make that choice to quiet down out of knowing that being riled up and upset and angry is not the answer. It's not the direction I want to head in. <laughs> so I think for me, that's, you know, now that we're talking about it and I'm reflecting on how it is inside my own being, it seems like that's where the choice is for me. Like, I'm just not going to jump on any bus that, that comes to my bus stop, you know, because it's going to take me to the wrong end of town. I'm going to wait until a better bus comes along, a bus that's going to take me to a better part, the, the part of town I want to be in, so to speak, yeah. just to use that as a metaphor. But yeah, I think that we do have the choice of not, focusing on to a degree because I'm thinking of clients that I see and you know they it, it takes them a bit of time to see that they have this power available to them sometimes it's just one session but sometimes it could be five sessions 
because they are in such a habit of dwelling on the negative as though there are answers there. And when they can see after lots of dwelling on lots of different topics that it never gave them the answer they really were looking for. Because, you know, it's like a computer. I know Bill Pettit talks about this and other people, and Sid talked about the fact that the brain is a computer and what we put into a computer is what we get out of it. So you can't go looking in the brain for the answers to well-being. Well-being is present when we quiet down, when we quiet the brain waves down, when we quiet that brain activity that generates the content of thought. Yeah, I... Because um... there's something so much more powerful behind that. There's the, you know, the motor that revs it up. <laughs> there's mind. Uh, um... there's, a, yeah. there's, a, there's a beautiful... There's a beautiful idea in... I don't even know how to put this into words. There's a distinction between, because I'm someone that spent many years, let me go in this direction. I'm someone that spent many years analyzing my thought, analyzing my experience. And yeah. if I did something, I would look at that something from all angles. What would have, how would it have been different if I did this? What can I do differently next time? Um, what did the other person intend? What, you know, and I would just look at it from every direction constantly. My mind was always coming up with alternatives, solutions, analyzing my own process, my own thinking, my own experience, what could I have done differently? What if I did this? What direction can I take going forward? And it was a never ending, never stopping, constant analysis of myself and others. Mm -hmm. And what mm -hmm. made the biggest difference for me, I think was and I don't remember if I've shared this in the podcast or not. I know that I make a reference to it in my free online course, which I'll, I'll get to in future episodes as well. Um, but there's a reference that I really loved, which is this idea that we are all responding to threats that we perceive are real. Mm -hmm. And as long as I believe that my experience of life is created by you, mm -hmm. you are a potential threat. So it's natural that I'm going to be thinking about you and what you did and how you did it and what I could have done differently to prevent myself from experiencing what I didn't like through something that you created because you are the threat. <laughs> as long as I have that idea, it is natural for me to create defenses around it because yeah. that is a threat absolutely and as soon as i started looking in this direction that sydney is pointing us towards which is in a direction of our experience of life is created by the energy of life 
that is utilizing our ability of awareness, the gift that we have to transform thought and to feel it through our senses, through our emotions, through our emotional body, through our mental body, the combination of both. <clears throat> and my experience of you is my interpretation of you. And I've mentioned this before, but my mm -hmm. experience of you is my interpretation of you. And that interpretation is based on all kinds of models and ideas that I have within myself. Right. And it's all, and this was one of my biggest insights was my experience of a situation that made me sad was a reference that I was making to some model or some equivalency that I had in some deep, dark part of my unconscious. And I went, holy shit, it has nothing to do with this other person. Like right. nothing, <laughs> nothing to do with the other person. It is entirely, so true. Yeah. yeah, my upset, my, my sadness, my hurt was entirely created by the, the equivalence that I had made somewhere in my unconscious mind of if this happens, then you feel this. Yeah. And, yeah. and I started to see this idea that, you know, I, I love the metaphor of a fire. If we're in a house and there's a fire in some part of the house, we would be foolish if we didn't do something about it. And I love that because it's so true. As long as I believe that something outside of myself is creating my experience, I would be foolish not to try and defend myself from that. And it's totally innocent right. because that's where my threat is perceived. Right. And this is a natural part of our experience. But as soon as I started seeing the, the experience that I am creating is not because of the other person. It's not because of my circumstances or my environment. It gave me more, I don't want to say control because that's not the right word, but I, I don't know what other word to use, but it gave me more control over my life. Mm -hmm. I took mm -hmm. a more, the way that I like to say is that I took a more active step in the creation of my experience. Mm -hmm. I became a participant, an active participant in recognizing the role that I was playing in my experience. And then the choices that I make and the influence that they have on the experience that I have. And of course, I mean, I'm human. I'm going to have my days where I feel like crap and I don't know why. And I don't have a thought that I can associate it to. And no matter how much my understanding of life is, I still feel like shit. I'm going <laughs> to have those days because I'm human. Right. But I also see that experience very differently now. And where I am playing with now is this idea of, and I would love to get your thoughts because I do think that there's a parallel there with the message of the principles somewhere, somehow. But I've never been a big fan of the idea around wanting to live in happiness all the time. Mm -hmm. Because I feel that that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. And within my one of my spiritual community groups that I am a part of, the message that's coming from spirit is 
a recognition that as we elevate our level of awareness and our understanding and we go beyond our three-dimensional experience of life and we go more into our spiritual experience through the human experience, the more we recognize our spirituality in our humanity, which is the purpose of this podcast is to help us see that more clearly. Mm -hmm. But as we see that, we find ourselves living in joy as our default state of, of experience. Mm -hmm. And we can even be in joy while our human experiences sorrow or while our human experiences grief or while our mm -hmm. human experiences anger or frustration. We can still remain in a state of joy. I have not gotten there. I have not been able to experience joy while experiencing my human reactions. But I can say that I am more at peace with my experience, regardless of what the experience is, more and more. So I would love to get your thoughts mm -hmm. on that. Interesting. Yeah, let me see what comes to mind, Daniel. But. Um... You know, I have had the experience you're speaking of. I wouldn't call it joy, but I would call it awe of being, you know, being upset and being in awe of being a human capable of experiencing upset. Sounds a little crazy, huh? But what I mean by that is that having the full range of the human experience is awesome. So in other words, like not judging good, bad, high, low, up, down, not judging that, just experiencing it. And knowing that I don't have to feed the lows. They don't last very long. I get them, but they don't last long. And, you know, I think the word interesting and curiosity stands out for me. I love those two words. When I get curious about how this is happening, you know, when I get intrigued, even by a bad feeling, like this is really cool. You know, to be in the midst of what we would typically label as a bad feeling. It doesn't, and I know that I'm not, if I'm in a bad feeling, no matter how much in awe I am of it, I know better than to sign on any dotted line or make any definitive decision that will affect the rest of my life. I know that I'm not dealing with, you know, on all four cylinders. You know, <laughs> I know that I'm, um, not as functional as I would be in a nicer state of mind or calmer state of mind. Although, you know, I have experienced calm in a bad feeling. So, um, but I think it has to do with not letting the feeling rule us. Like, having the experience of a bad feeling rather than the bad feeling having us. Yeah, I, I 
it's kind of the idea of recognizing or being in the experience of the bad feeling as opposed to experiencing the bad feeling. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's a very subtle distinction in language, but there's a big difference in the two. There's the experience of it, and then there's experiencing it. Yes, because knowing not to act when you're upset with whoever is in front of you. Knowing. No, well. <laughs> whenever you do, whenever you can, you know, we get caught up. We, we go down rabbit holes of thought. and Yeah. But I've noticed that I've gotten better and better and better at holding my tongue and waiting it out. Wait until I see more clearly and then talk about it. And a lot of times there's nothing to talk about. Have you found that? I, I laugh because I have not found that. I And have I? So... A few weeks ago, my sister comes down and starts yelling at me for something. And I yelled back. Yeah. And I yelled back and I said, you're yelling at me doesn't help you and you're yelling at me doesn't help me. But I was yelling back at her. I wasn't in a place where I, I it's, it's interesting because I feel like I am a mirror. I've always felt this. That if you're friendly with me, I'll be friendly with you. If you're mean to me, I'll be mean to you. It's like I'm a mirror to the other person's energy. And I have a very difficult time not being that mirror. And I, I, I keep on talking about how one day, one day I will see this clear enough. I will see my experience of life deep enough where I will recognize the other person's spiritual experience and not their behavior. But for now, I'm still responding a lot to their behavior. But it's interesting because I respond to it again with more awareness. I was going to say that because look, look at the words you chose. Those words are pretty, um, you know, they're not out of reaction. They're simply stating the fact that yelling at me is not going to help. You know, yeah. you just stated a fact and you didn't throw, um, nasty words at her or anything like that so my guess is your reaction you, it, it was more of a response than a reaction and i'm guessing that you would have reacted stronger had you not been pointing yourself in this more spiritual direction yeah i would definitely agree with that and and like i say i mean for me it's i, I like we've all talked about and let me not say that i hear this in a number of different uh, communities that everything happens for us, not to us, mm. and that every experience around us is for us. And, and I was thinking, isn't it interesting that, you know, when I lost my temper at my sister, it gave me an opportunity to reflect on how am I doing in my progress? How am I doing in my understanding of love? How am I doing in my experience of love and in sharing love? Mm -hmm. And what I felt afterwards, and this is something that we talk about in the community of the principles a lot, or at least I do, is that 
the thinking that we have after the fact is where we have a lot of influence in our experience. And after the experience, I could still feel my body was charged and energized with adrenaline because of the emotional reaction that I had. But I could sit there and dwell on how unfair she was to judge me because she didn't understand that I'd been given different information and that I had planned my time according to that information and that I wasn't willing to adjust given the energy that she was coming to me with. And she had come down very lovingly and said, hey, I know that you're in the middle of something, but would you mind being able to, to go and do this that we're asking of you now? I would have been like, sure, let me, let me work around it. Let me figure out what, what my mother could do to help out. Let me do it. I would have been happy to, but instead she came down screaming and I went, no. And I kind of put up a, a, a if you're going to scream at me, I'm not going to cave to your demands because it didn't feel right. And afterwards, like, like I was saying, it would be very easy. It would have been very easy for me to dwell on her energy and the negativity of the experience. And instead, what I did was I felt love mm. as best as I could. Mm. I sent her loving energy as best as I could in the mindset that I was in. And eventually, my body stopped feeling the adrenaline that it was feeling, and my mind changed its tone and my experience changed its tone and and i went back to having a very different experience mm. and to me that's a choice point that we have and that's a choice point that we can make where we do have an influence on the thinking that we then create after an experience like you say we can feed it and we can feed it with negative thinking or in my case, what I did was I fed it consciously with the best loving energy that I could muster at the time, whatever that was. Isn't it interesting that, um, you know, like love is our default setting, right? That it's easy to um, get worked up when somebody is angry with us, like, like your sister was angry with you. It's easy to get worked up over that in a reaction when that person, when their opinion means something to us. So, you know, I work with a lot of couples in my practice and boy, that is so commonplace where one gets angry at the other, often over a misunderstanding, completely over a misunderstanding. And the other person reacts trying to defend themselves because, you know, they know that they didn't do it on purpose or they had a whole different meaning attached to whatever the thing was. So they'll start to defend themselves and that doesn't help the situation at all. The first person who is mad just gets madder. <laughs> but, um, you know, isn't it interesting that if somebody got mad at you like that, who you didn't, you know, who wasn't in your inner circle, who didn't matter as much to you, 
you probably wouldn't react so much. You you might even have the thought, boy, that person really is having a bad time. I feel bad for them. And, and automatically feel compassion for somebody. But when we go into defense mode, that's boy, that's, you know, ego, personal thinking. How dare you blame me? I have different information. You don't know the information I have. <laughs> Yeah. If you knew, you wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, it is very interesting. Yeah. There's something that I want to bring up because, and I know that I use the word love, and you say that our default setting is love. Love is something that is not easy for me to understand and, in, and intellectualize. So when people talk about love, for the most part, I have no clue what they're talking about. Like none whatsoever. Um, so it's really interesting, the use of love and it's, it's a, it's an experience that I am learning more and more about within my own, in the way that I define it. Right. And the reason that I mentioned this is because in, in all of spiritual conversations and communities that I've ever been a part of, the idea of love always comes up that we are love, the energy of God is love, the energy of life is love, that everything is love. And like I say, in my own personal experience, I don't have a reference for that. I haven't found a reference for that where I go, oh yeah, I know what that is. I have a felt sense of what it might mean to me, but I haven't fully understood it to a point where I say, Absolutely. I know exactly what that person is referring to because I have that felt sense of that, that felt experience. And again, the reason I'm mentioning this is because we are all on our different paths and we all use language that is that we have the idea is universal. But we need to recognize that we have our own interpretation of these words. So the words that Lori and I are using, you know, take them with a grain of salt and try and recognize as best as you can the meaning that we are trying to describe with these words in whatever way that makes sense for you. Right. Or as Sid would say, don't listen to my, don't listen to our words. <laughs> listen for a feeling. Right. Right. I mean, that's so yeah. esoteric, but on some level, we all get that. How do we get that? Don't listen to my words, because then you get all conceptual and you try to figure it out and you go into your memory banks and you draw, you know, you're busy trying to figure it all out. But if you just go for a feeling, you get it, your own insights. You know, it's it's your you're seeing something inside yourself. I have had clients say to me, wow, when you said X, Y, Z, like things really shifted for me. And when they tell me X, Y, Z, I say, I never said that. That was their insight. It had nothing to do with what I said. But I digress. Let me get back to this four-letter word, love. Yeah, I love the, I love the word. Um, yeah, you know, there's so many so much conceptual thinking around the word. People are afraid to say it. What's it going to mean? 
Um, but we feel it. You know, I'm sure you have people in your life who just, you know that they really appreciate you. To me, that's love. Or people you really appreciate, they may piss you off sometimes, but on the whole, you really appreciate the fact that they're in your life. To me, that's love. It doesn't have to be opposite sex, could be same sex, any age. I mean, I fall in love with children who are strangers. I don't know these kids from Adam, but if I'm in, in I'm a park fanatic, so I have another park where <laughs> this is a bigger park <laughs> where people walk baby buggies and they walk um, dogs. I'm falling in love all the time in this park by the scenery. You know, those moments where you just look at what's in front of you and it looks like a postcard or the sky looks like a, some incredible painting. And you think, my goodness, you know, how did how did this happen? How did nature happen? How do I get to experience this? To me, that's the feeling of love. Simple. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it reminds me of something that was shared with me very recently in a in, in a conversation I had, where I brought up this idea of I don't feel love at the level of depth that I believe was being meant, and the response that I heard back was a reminder that love comes in many different shapes and forms. And um, the invitation was to go out in nature and to look at a flower or to look at the sky, to notice anything in life that brings joy or appreciation or beauty and to recognize that that is love, that is an expression of love in its purest form is that recognition of beauty. Um, And so the reason that I mentioned this again is because I know myself being one of these people where this is a term that is hard for me to identify with. And the idea that listen for a feeling is a term that I roll my eyes for people that are are listening to the audio because that's a term that has eluded me for years and still to some degree when people say it, I'm like, eh, that doesn't resonate with me. Um, but having said that, in the first conversation of this podcast was with Marina Galan where she was talking about, and maybe it wasn't in that conversation, but I've had conversations with Marina specifically around how every experience we have ultimately is a feeling. And I started, and I started recognizing that and seeing the truth in that, that I can intellectualize my, my experience of anything, but for me to really experience it, I have to feel it. Yeah. And so everything that we experience ultimately is felt. Yeah. We can we can intellectualize it, we can analyze it, we can think about it, we can try and understand it, we can go left and right and up and down. But in order to even have that that aspect of the experience, the analytical experience, we need to have felt something beforehand. 
And, and so there's this invitation for myself, which is the one that I'm making for everybody else, is noticing that felt sense experience before thought, before analytical thought, before um, intellectual understanding, yeah. before trying to make sense of it. Um, there's, a, there's an emotion underneath everything and this goes back to and this becomes a bit confusing at times so i want to be careful with the language here because for anybody that goes through my online course or has some experience to the principles we will talk about how all experience comes from thought that thought creates experience mm -hmm. so what is it that i'm saying when i say that before thought there's a feeling and this is and this is something that you and I spoke about, Laurie, that thought is one of these words that is very difficult and very confusing because it has many different layers and many different understandings. So for me to experience anything in life, for me to experience anything at all, there needs to be thought that is made to feel real through my understanding of awareness and my 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 awareness, my consciousness. So thought and consciousness create experience. Correct. And so thought in this bigger term, this more higher level description of thought is the energy of thought that works with the energy of consciousness to create experience. And this right. is, and I say this generally because Again, I'm not just speaking about our human experience. I'm speaking of all experience, all animals, all creatures, um, even for all I know, stones have the ability to think. Um, I, I don't know that. Um, but I do have the impression that everything has a level of consciousness. And I do, I am told that everything has spirit associated to it because everything is energy. Everything is part of the same consciousness, this universal consciousness that we talk about. And I'm digressing quite a lot, so I apologize. Um, but going back to this idea of thought, it's my experience of life is created, my experience is created through the synergistic combination of the energy or power of thought that works with awareness to make that experience visible or felt in my in my awareness and then i can think about it and analyze it after the fact with my personal ability of consciously creating thought so this is where thought becomes the before feeling and then also the after feeling and so I just wanted to clarify that as, as confusingly as I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I find helpful when I get into those quandaries, Daniel, is, you know, you think about boiling everything down, the human condition, human experience. If we could boil it all down, what we'd have left is mind, thought, and consciousness. Simple, really, really simple. I... I love the simplicity 
of the principles. Because when my mind starts to go, you know, doing somersaults, trying to trying to understand what the heck all of this is, um, it's like doing somersaults in my head. But then when I come back to the simplicity of that, the legacy that Sid Banks left for us is this simplicity of mind, thought, and consciousness, three universal principles that, you know, that explain the human experience moment to moment, every moment of our lives from birth to death, that's coming through us through the energy of mind, thought, and consciousness. I think of it like a bridge between, you know, what brings spiritual formless energy into the world of form, using us, each of us, as a conduit. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I, do, I do recognize and totally agree with the idea of of simplicity. And there's two things that I want to mention here. Um, again, I want to be careful with this idea of our human experience, because what I believe the principles are pointing towards is universal, not just our humanity. Although it does, because we are humans, and we are looking to understand our humanity, a lot of times we use that language to help us understand our experience of life. Um, but I do want to, again, remind the listeners that this description of life goes beyond our humanity. Um, and we just don't have that experience, you know, the experience a dog or a cat or yeah. any animal has. But they certainly, right? I mean, I have seen animals expressing love. Where does that come from? Of course. Yeah. Isn't that it fascinating? That and, really interests and fascinates me when I see them. And they experience anxiety. Like I mentioned before we started, the dogs in my sister's family um, suffer from, and I say suffer, experience separation anxiety. So when no one is in the house, they start barking and howling. And even if I'm downstairs, it's still not enough for them. They want someone upstairs with them. So mm. if I go upstairs, they, they, they quiet down. Yeah. But if they're alone, oh. they start howling. And, and, and so there's some experience that they're having that's creating that. Um, right. Yeah. So it's really, really interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And there was something else that I wanted to, to say in response to something you shared, and it's not coming, which is fine. Um, the whole thing about love was really so interesting. And I think when we spoke before, you said that you read The Secret of Love, that book with the red cover, The Secret of Love, Unlock the Mystery, Unleash the Magic. Never heard of it. Oh, that's a book for you. That's a book for you. Yeah, Christine Heath and I co-authored that book, and we um, started uh, just using um, quotes from uh, an audio tape that Sid made called Thought and Marriage, because we're both marriage and family therapists, you know, and we had these 
client stories that were so illustrative, like they really illustrated these quotes. And then people in the three principles community got wind of the fact that we're writing this book and they volunteered their stories. So there are beautiful stories in there. Elsie and Ken, Chip and Jan, you know, all these people that you've heard of and maybe even have interviewed here. Um, Dickin and, and Coisey. And you feel love when you read their stories. You can, like, it's like they're telling their story and you could feel the love. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? How, um, yeah, like it's a, it's a feeling of being touched. There's one story in there about um, a young couple and he got early onset Alzheimer's. That story is so touching <laughs> that, um, yeah, I mean, when Chris and I were editing the book, like, you know, you got to go through a book a lot of times and there's still going to be some mistakes. Every time we came to that story, I would tear up every time. And I just about had that story memorized. Where does that come from? <laughs> you can't make that happen. You can't will that to happen. You can't purposely, consciously think that into your experience. It just happened. Where's that come from? The great unknown, right? The great unknown and our ability to feel just from words, from written words. That's that's amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And it reminds me of what I wanted to share, which was this idea of simplicity. And yeah, again, I don't know if I've mentioned this in, in, in a previous episode or not, but years ago, I was at a party with a friend of mine who is a PhD psychology professor in a university. And she was being asked why she was interested in psychology and she said because it's so complex and i thought about it and i understood that at a deeper level because i was learning about the principles at the time i was learning about how everything is the energy of life our ability to recognize awareness and the power of thought. And I started recognizing that there's two levels that we can look at our experience. If we look at our experience in the world of form, it is very complicated. There's all kinds of models and ideas and references that I can come up with that will respond to and relate to my experience of life, of my childhood, of my parenting, of my beliefs. I can go into all kinds of models, psychological models of thought and thinking and creation, and it becomes very complicated and elaborate and never ending graph of connections, which is incredibly complicated and very attractive to someone with my mentality of wanting to figure out the complexity. <laughs> and so I love the complexity of psychology. And I agree with my friend because it is very complex. But 
what I started recognizing is that psychology isn't complicated at all. <laughs> psychology is very, very simple. <laughs> Every experience that we have is an innocent response to the thinking that we believe to be real in that moment. Oh, beautiful. Say that again. <laughs> Let me see if I can. That every experience we have is an innocent response to the thinking that we believe to be real in the moment. Right. And what I think about can be conscious or unconscious. And this again starts going into the complexity of things. And the invitation is to go back to the simplicity. Yes. The yeah. invitation is, if yeah. you can see the truth in what this is pointing towards, that your experience of life at any given moment, and I'll use my sister's example with me, when she came down screaming at me, the thinking that I was believing to be real in the moment was, she's not hearing me, she's not understanding the truth of my experience, she is judging based on the ideas that she has, which is wrong. She is screaming at me, which isn't fair. I don't want to be screamed at. So let me scream back at her because, you know, so that's all of the thinking that I was having that I was believing, quote unquote, to be real. And I responded right. because of that. Right. Now, right. Um, every experience I have, good, bad, neutral, whatever the case may be, positive, negative, neutral, again, every experience is going to be a reflection of the energy of thought that is made to feel real by our ability to feel and recognize awareness through our senses, through our emotions. And it is all made possible because we are part of the energy of life. Yeah. There's a simplicity within all of those words that I just shared. Right. There's a simplicity beyond the words that I shared, which is what you said earlier, everything is mind consciousness and thought yeah. and i use the word energy of life instead of mind because i find that mind outside of the three principles community doesn't mean anything mm. there's no reference to mind what is universal mind well universal mind is the energy of life that makes personal mind possible mm. what is universal consciousness well universal consciousness is the energy of which we are a part of that makes it possible for us to experience individual consciousness. Mm -hmm. And what is universal thought? Well, universal thought is the power and energy that makes it possible for us to have thought, personal mm -hmm. thought. Mm -hmm. So going back to the simplicity, I can look at the world of form, I can look at the experience of my content, I can look at the activities of my past lives, or my future lives, or my spiritual journeys, or my trans meditations, and I can analyze them in all kinds of directions, because they are form, they have taken a shape, they have taken a representation of something that I have been able to interpret. <laughs> As soon as I start looking at that level, I'm looking at a very complex matrix, which is incredibly beautiful and incredibly deep and incredibly 
complicated and interrelated, which I will never fully understand. If I look at the world before form, the formless aspect of experience, there's a beautiful simplicity, the energy of life, my ability to feel awareness and thought work together to create my experience. Right. In every moment. In every moment. Isn't that incredible? Because I'll tell you something, Daniel, I was caught up in, you know, ancient, the Jung Institute. I thought, wow, this is so great. Lori, I'm going to stop you because you froze as soon as you said, oh. let me tell you something. And then oh, you, just, okay. you just froze. Yeah, I got a message that said my internet connection was not good, but my yeah, router is right here and it says green. So should we rewind that? Yeah. So if you, you can, if you can share again from, let me tell you something, that would be great. Should I start with, let me tell you something? Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let me tell you something that I had an experience of analysis for four years when I lived in San Francisco. I went to the Jung Institute and I had a Jungian analyst analyzed me for four years. I went in depressed and four years later I came out depressed. But I could tell you why I was depressed and you know, who to blame for what, for my depression. And literally, less. the only reason I stopped going, this sounds like a Woody Allen joke. The only reason I stopped going, you know, Woody Allen talks about being in analysis forever, um, was because I met Sid Banks. And in one talk of Sid's, and this doesn't happen to everybody, I'm just unbelievably fortunate that this happened. I felt more relief than I could ever remember feeling. And I don't know the words that he used. The feeling uh, of Sid was beautiful. You, I just knew that this man had seen something that was really meaningful. And what I heard was, it is not on me to make the life that I think I'm supposed to have happen. For whatever reason, that was the thinking I was doing, that I was failing, I was falling short of creating the life I was supposed to have. You know, a, a level of success, um, a wife, a mother, all those worldly things that, so I thought that it was my fault that those things were not happening by the time I thir turned 30. You know, there's this, there was in my mind a deadline for the right things to come into order. And one Sid talk, and I realized that that's all BS. And, but, you know, an hour every week for four years. And I did not feel any better in one talk by Sidney Banks, who had a ninth grade education. I felt better than I could ever remember feeling. How interesting is that? Yeah, it's fascinating. 
there's a, it reminds me of, there's a number of things that it reminds me of, but one of the things that comes to mind, first of all, is this idea that when somebody knows, so what I was thinking about, let me, let me go in this direction. As you were speaking, I was thinking about my first insight, which I shared earlier on, which was life-changing for me. And you just shared one of your first insights that was life-changing for you. And I never, my insight didn't come from Sidney Banks, from listening to him. My insight came from an understanding of a description that he shared, that someone else shared, that I then interpreted in my own words. Can you say what that was? Hard to put words on it. I can, I can. And I'll try and come back to it. Um, well, no, I guess I'm going to say it now. Okay. So the... No, sorry, I keep my mind keeps on going back and forth between two things and they're related and one's jumping in front of the other. Um, one of the things that I think happens when people listen to Sidney Banks in a recording or people that had the benefit of li listening to him live is there's a purity in the language that he uses. There's a level of understanding and acceptance of you being exactly who you are. And there's a sharing of knowledge that helps us to see and to point towards aspects of our experience that we didn't previously recognize. And I'll use you as an example. You were having all kinds of thought storms around what you should have been doing, how you were responsible for all of this. And something in what Sydney said made you recognize that life is going to live without the need for you to direct it. Right. Exactly. And that's the interpretation that I made of what you said. Yeah. Um, that life is going to live and life is going to happen. And yes, we are participants in life. But it is not on us to live life. We don't, we don't, we are the energy of life and we co-create our experience. Absolutely. But we're not the conscious ones that created the tree outside or that makes the rain come when it comes. Right. That's not on us. Now we can look at life and our energy of life more deeply and recognize that we are the clouds that rain and we are the tree and we are the same energy and we can go into that discussion altogether, but that's a different discussion altogether. Um, the simplicity of hearing the truth in what Sydney is pointing towards is really appealing to me mm. and really attractive to me. Mm. 
which is the reason that I encourage people to listen to Sidney's videos and to read his books. And it isn't for everybody. And I recognize that my mother, for example, hates his books. She hates the tone that he takes in his books. Really? Oh, interesting. Hates them, hates them. She can't get past it. <laughs> to, see, to, to, to look at the message that he is sharing, she can't get past the, the way that he describes things. Um, and all I can think about is I didn't even pay attention to that. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, it's so interesting. That's the first time I've heard that. What book in any? Oh, all of probably them. didn't get past one book. Right? Oh, she 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 read all of them. I gave them all. She really? didn't like any of them. Yeah. So she read what the first five pages or the oh, first no, she, chapter? Oh, no, she she read the whole book. Even though she hated it, oh, she yeah. read the whole book out of out of her love and appreciation for the fact that I was sharing this with her. She read the whole book. Oh, that's so interesting. And the book that made the biggest difference in her experience, I physically saw her shift, <laughs> was uh, Jack Pransky's book, Somebody um, Should Have Told somebody Us. Somebody Should Have Told Us. Yeah, that's the name. Is that the name of it? Yep. Somebody Should Have Told Us. Yeah. Um, oh, great. I'll I'll include that the name of that book in, in the description of the episode. Um yeah. But that was the book of all the books that she read that I gave her of all of the different people that I've been reading and learning from her manner, her personality changed the way that she expressed is the way that she experienced life changed noticeably after she finished reading that book. Wow. Could you describe the how she changed? She would. I can. I can. When so my mother was living in the basement of my sister's house where we're both living in right now um, for the moment. Um, but my my mother was living down here on her own, meaning I wasn't here. This was years ago. I was living in Singapore at the time, I think, or maybe it was London. I don't remember where it was. It was Singapore. Sorry. Um, so I was in Singapore at the time and I would buy the books in hard copy and I would have them delivered to this address so that my mother could read them. Wow. And I would buy the books on Kindle because I read everything on Kindle these days because it's, it's convenient. It's always with me. Um, so, yeah. um, so I bought all of the hard copy books so that my mother could read them. And so I would tell her, hey, I just read this book. I just ordered it. Take a look. And when my mother would speak of my sister's relationship with her, there's a lot of how do I put this nicely? <laughs> um, difficulty. There's a lot of difficulty in their relationship. Yeah. Um, and has been for a number of years. And my mother would, I don't know how to put it, in a different way, my mother would take her experience of my sister yelling at her or reprimanding her or doing something towards her in a very personal way. She would take it very personally. She would respond to it with a lot of emotional upset. And after reading that book that I mentioned, Jack Prince, who spoke of, I wish someone would have told this or whatever it was. Um, Somebody should have told us. Someone should have yeah. told us. Yeah. <laughs> um, after she finished reading that book, my mother and I were on a conversation and my mother spoke to me of my sister coming down to yell at her. 
And it was the first time that she spoke to me of the experience as an experience. And not taking it personally. That's so and, great. Well, and she wasn't, she wasn't emotionally invested in the experience. And I'm sure that she was at times. And I'm sure that, you know, my sister comes down and yells and my mother still goes into her upset. And I also get affected at, you know, momentarily. Um, but there was a physical shift in the way that my mother was speaking of the experience, which was noticeably different. Wow. It was noticeably more neutral. It was noticeably more comfortable, at ease. Mm. Um, and so, and like Isn't I say, great? yeah, and, and, and like I say, I mean, she still has her emotional upsets, but after reading that book, there was a significant shift in the way that she was expressing herself to me. And I was able to see the difference very clearly when she was speaking of my sister as an example, because of I can have a conversation before the book and I can remember exactly how she responded. And now I'm having a conversation with her after the book and I can see how she's responding. Um, so it was mm. very, very noticeable. Um, so mm -hmm. nice. Yeah, I am. I apologize to my listeners. I, I forgot to start the timer. So I don't know how long we've been going. Um, I imagine that we've been going well over an hour. Um, yeah. <laughs> it went by fast, didn't it? It, oh, it my does. Goodness. It does. It does. It's so fun being in this conversation. Um, so yeah. I would love to kind of open up the floor to have you share anything else that you would like to share. Oh, I don't know. So much. We could spend another several hours, but we'd basically be saying the same thing. <laughs> Right. You know, um, yeah, it's just to anybody listening, I would say, have a look, have a look at uh, in this direction. I know you pointed people to 3PGC. Um, people can find The Secret of Love by Christine Heath and myself on Amazon. And here's something, Daniel, you know, we talked about how life when you um, settle down more in life and you get into the flow of life, life unfolds for you. We don't have to plan for it. I never planned to write a book, never, ever was that on my to-do list. I don't have a to-do list. <laughs> life just gets delivered. Like, okay, Lori, you're going to do this next, you know? It just gets delivered. So I wind up writing three books. And when people go on Amazon, they'll find the other two. One was a book I co-wrote with. One of the three was a book I co-wrote with Jack, Jack Pransky. It was a curriculum, Healthy Thinking, Feeling, Do. That's not on Amazon, but it's on my website. So I think that's about it. Uh, I'd invite everybody to check out Mystery School. You're probably going to put it in the description. So, you know, anybody who wants to be part of a book club for SIDS uh, books and videos, it would be great to have them. Wonderful. Yeah, I'll definitely yeah. include the, the information on how people can reach you. Um, but for people that are listening, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Um, probably my website. There's a contact form 
in the website, which is the number three principlestherapy.com. Beautiful. Yeah. And so, Lori, I want to invite you once again. Share something from your heart. <laughs> I'm at a complete loss. What can I share? Just that. Ah, I'm just so grateful, really. Just gratitude is, you know, that that I would be in a place in life to be in a conversation like this and to have you call upon me and say, okay, come join me and let's talk about this. You know, it's just such a fun and wonderful to be a part of a larger community that's just growing so much, isn't it? Mm, beautiful just growing in leaps and bounds and and we're we're in the cusp is that the right word of a paradigm shift that um is just wow you know wow when you think about the future of people really honoring the innate health in people without labeling people, without psychiatric labels, um, that to me is, um, wow, you know, that I would be able to experience this starting to happen in my lifetime. That's a big wow. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. Absolutely. For inviting me. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure and an honor to have you. I look forward to continuing this conversation again in, in some future date, if you're willing yeah. to come and play with me again. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. So thank you very much, and I will talk to you soon. Great. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you heard something new that invites you to reflect, to go within and deepen your own understanding of life and of our universal experience. If you enjoyed this conversation, please follow the podcast series on your favorite listening app and share this episode with others that you feel would enjoy it as well. Until next time, May we all soar with inspiration, explore with passion, and live with love.